Okay. So we're going to turn the corner today and we're going to talk about um, money. Okay, so here's your, here's your quiz question for the morning and we'll, we'll do more of this next time. But um, what is the average amount of student debt that a college student in the United States graduates with? yeah yeah it's uh i was surprised to actually do it because i would have said something like that and there's about three percent of the population where it's 100 200 you know the medical students the law students and whatnot um the average is actually twenty six thousand six hundred dollars okay um what's not encouraging is (laughs) Uh, how quickly it's feasible for you to pay that off depending on, you know, your degree program and the type of job that you get. But uh, we'll talk about this for you guys that are in high school because just in a few years, this will be where you're at and you're thinking about where am I going to go and what am I going to do. And, and uh, you guys understand that uh, we live in a day and age where um, if you're willing to sign on the bottom line, just about anything can happen for you financially doesn't mean it's good or wise, but there's probably somebody out there who's willing to take a risk for a very, very high interest rate. So um, uh, that's one of many reasons why I think the scriptures talk to us, especially in Proverbs, about money, because, uh, you know, money is one of those things that uh, you can completely wreck your life in 872 different ways um, regarding money. And uh, so... We want to talk about this. Um, it's great we have a pretty good cross-section here. Um, you know, we've got some middle-agers, we've got some retired folks, and we've got uh, our high school students here. Um, and I think, honestly, w- one of the things we can do is to talk to each other about this um, and to think about, you know, what were, what were things I did, you know, when I was your age, and what was good about that, what was foolish about that, and... Uh, so that's part of how God designs the church so we can help each other with that. But uh, So we want to start a, a little mini-series here called Wealth and Money because this is one of the dominant themes of Proverbs that we see. And if you've been reading it, uh, no doubt you see this. And actually, the, the topic spills over into Solomon's other book, Ecclesiastes, uh, where we find out not only was this guy a very powerful man, but he was one of the richest men literally in the known world. And um, it's interesting, uh, you know the end of the book, but uh, it's interesting when Solomon gets to the end of his life and he says, uh, let me tell you what it was like to be the richest man around. And it's the same thing that he says all the way back from chapter one. He says it's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Um, Okay, so let's let's jump in here with both feet. Um, I want to start with something you already know, and it's a theological starting point, and that is everything belongs to God. And if we start there, um, there's all sorts of things that come into view. Okay, we looked at Psalm 24:1, "The earth is the Lord's and all it contains." Would someone look up for me Psalm? Who would look up Psalm 104, verse 24? Who wants to look that up, John? Who would look up Deuteronomy 8.18? Jack? 
uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Jonathan, uh, Job 41, 11. Okay? And then uh, at the end, we'll all come back and look at uh, 1 Chronicles 29. Okay? So when you have the verse... I think this is is a basic starting point. I don't think we would disagree with this, but I want you to see how often the Scripture makes this point, that everything belongs to God. And when we start with that, if we really believe that, then our theology of wealth and money and possessions and all that kind of follows. When we challenge this, we, we wouldn't challenge this on a Sunday school test, right? We'd all say, of course, you know, everything belongs to God. But if we challenge this in our hearts, right, if we, uh, if we struggle with this, um, then things really... What's that? What's that? Okay. Uh, it's coming up. It's just taking a while. So, thanks. Okay, so who's got Psalm 104.24? Okay. John, would you read that for us, please? How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Okay. Notice the ownership there. The earth is full of... Your creatures, right? God, God takes ownership. He, he shows that these are, this is his world and everything in it belongs to him. Who's got Deuteronomy 8, 18? Jack? But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. All right. Now I want you to remember that. We'll come back to that in a minute. It is he... God, who gives you the power to make wealth, okay? And that's an important theological connection because if, if we don't recognize that, we're going to read two different things in Proverbs and we're going to go, those are contradictory. And I'll show you them in a moment. So keep that in mind. Who's got Deuteronomy ten fourteen? So everything under the heavens, everything on the earth belongs to God. Who's got Job 41.11? Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heavens is mine. Okay. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Now, now this is, of course, where that part in the book of Job where God has appeared to Job and he is correcting him. And it's interesting, of all the things that uh, God wants to say to Job, one of the things he reminds him uh, is that everything in this world belongs to me. And uh, so whether you get sick, as was the case of Job, or not, um, whether you have a family or that family uh, tragically passes away, that God is over all of these things. So, oh, hang on here. That's an old one. Okay, let's all turn to First Chronicles 29, and uh, let me show you this. This is David's prayer. Um, and um, it's, it's beautiful, really. I mean, in, uh, to do it justice, we would need to really read the whole thing, but we'll content ourselves with just the first portion here. First Chronicles 29, 11, or 10, as David prays, um, this is uh, following... Um, his desire to build a temple and how all that will come together. And God tells him at the first part of the chapter that, um, um, well, we'll get into that later on. Let's just get into the prayer. 
First uh, Chronicles 29, verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. And here's, here's the key phrase. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Um, so he says a couple of things there. Riches and honor come from you, and kind of paralleling the verse that Jack read a moment ago, it said, uh, says that in God's hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand, O God, to make great and to strengthen everyone. And that's where we have to start. We have to start with everything belongs to God. He is the Lord. He is the King. And um, you think about this. All of you have talents and abilities, right? All of you are are good at certain things. Some of you are good at lots of things. And it's easy to forget that that's not, that's not genetics, that's not all those years of training and schooling, that's not uh, you know, all those years on the practice field. Uh, th- those are parts of it. But ultimately, everything comes from God. And uh, this is one of those things that, that can keep you from so many sins. It keeps you from jealousy, right? How come I can't do it like he can? It keeps you from greediness. It keeps you from pride when you do well. It keeps you from discouragement when you do poorly. Um, to remember that all things come from God. Okay, so so with that in mind, and we read this specifically, wealth comes from God. Proverbs 10.22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Um, There it is, and that's the theme of Proverbs, that the blessing of finances, the blessing of wealth comes from God and from God alone. That's, That's the source. Now, I know what you're thinking, especially if you've read Proverbs, and that is, wait a minute, we've just spent weeks talking about diligence and hard work and self-control and and study and a good work ethic. That's what leads to wealth. But this is saying that the Lord makes rich, right? So just to remind you, 1914, house and wealth are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord, right? Well, that seems to say that if I have money, it's because it came from my family, some inheritance. Or we looked at this, Proverbs 10.4, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So which one is it? Does God make you wealthy, or do you make you wealthy when you either inherit it from your family, or you work hard? Figure this out. Come on, this is, this is the advanced study class here. So tell me, show me the schematic. How does this work? Right, very good. And that goes back to the verse you read. Um, God, and, and I think we all know this, but, but it's, it's good because sometimes if we don't recognize, um, principles of theology like this, we will end up saying things that are true, but they're only half true. Um, God is ultimately the source of everything, but he uses means, and when God uses means to bring things about, that's not any less God's work. It's just the way he's bringing it about in your life. Now, now just show of hands. Um, 
you had an unexpected financial bill that came at some point in your life, and you looked at, you opened that thing up, you go, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay this. And you show it to your spouse, how are we going to do this? And how many of you have had the experience where God drops $100 bills from the heavens? Like literally $100 bills coming, I mean, you walk outside and here they are coming down. Have you had that happen? You, you have a money tree. Do you make prunings and sell it? Okay. Now, that's what we sell our people in Cambodia. That's a money tree. Let's keep asking. Yeah, that's right. So obviously the answer is no. And there are a lot of people that think, obviously probably not very well taught, that, that God's provision is something like supernatural like that, like, like $100 bills from the clouds. And we all know that, of course, that's not, that's not how God does it, okay? Now, how many of you have had a, let's ask the question again, you've had an unexpected financial expense and God provided money in an unexpected way? How many of you have had that happen? Okay. And, and maybe it's, maybe it's a check in the mail, a random check in the mail, and it's just an anonymous gift. Maybe it's, um, uh, an unexpected, um, bonus at work. Maybe it's, you know, however it's happened, okay? And we, we rightly, applying our theology, we rightly say, you know, thank you to the human agent, if we know the human agent, we praise the Lord for that, but our praise ultimately goes back to being the provision of the Lord. So, so that's one of those things in, in the Christian life we have to get comfortable with, that everything comes from God and God is sovereign over all things, but he also uses means to accomplish his ends. And it's not any less God's provision that he uses those means, Okay. So does that make sense? You see how those complement each other? They're not contradicting each other? Okay, good. So everything comes from God. God sometimes usually uses means to do that. And uh, like Jack was saying a moment ago, you know, one of those means is power and ability and giftedness. And you say, well, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to wait for $100 bills to come down from the clouds. When God has given you a body, he's given you a brain, he's given you talents and giftedness, he's given you opportunities and if you're poor, notice, notice the Bible's also going to say, um, whether you're rich or poor, that ultimately goes back to God's sovereignty in your life. But it may be that you share some responsibility in that. It may be that you're a sluggard. You're a lazy person. And you are sinning against God in your laziness. So, so we, we, it's, it's that, it's that dichotomy that we see in scripture all the time. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, right? It's true in the gospel, right? We go preach the gospel to all the nations. That's our, our provision. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And yet we know that God is sovereign in the gospel. He has to draw people to himself. So we see that, we see that dichotomy, um, all over scripture. And this is just one more example of that. Now, money can be good. You can. So let's, uh, let's walk through a few ways, uh, why it might be good. Okay. Alan, would you look at Proverbs 10 verse 15 for us? Uh, Weldon, will you look up Proverbs 19, 17, please, sir? Um, Jonathan, will you look up 1 Timothy 5, 8? Tyler, will you look up, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 3? Lee, will you look up 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, okay? And uh, let's, just, let's just look at these together. And you can, uh, I've given you readings, of, uh, this is class participation time. Obviously, you can 
I want you to follow along as the verses are read. Uh, but money can be a good thing, okay? Uh, Alan, go ahead and read uh, Proverbs ten fifteen, please. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city or his fortress. Now, we might read that and hear he's trusting in his money. And the Proverbs is going to address that. In fact, the Proverbs is going to say very clearly, clearly, don't trust in your riches. But that's not really what's being emphasized here. What he's saying is people that have money have provision, they have protection. And and probably the context, as I've indicated on the notes here, is that when some sort of threat comes, maybe it's a physical threat, like people from the outside, um, and you you have built an actual facility to protect you from some of those threats, or maybe it's more like a natural disaster that's coming and you have greater provision because of your housing situation, it's saying that that's, that's a benefit and that can be a very good thing. Okay, uh, who's got 1917? Yes, go ahead, sir. Okay, so having money does what? Yeah, allows you to help others. And in fact, when Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, um, uh, Do not steal any longer, but let him labor, performing what is good with his hands, so that he can do what? Provide for himself and to help those in need. So so there's this, this dual purpose that I go and I work, not just to provide for my own household, which is biblical, we'll see that in a minute, but to have uh, something to help those in need. So that's that can be a good purpose there. Who's got uh first Timothy five? What's worse than being an infidel? I love the King James there. Infidel, right? Worse than an unbeliever. Worse than a pagan. What could be worse than that? You don't know Jesus. What does Paul say? Not providing for your family. Does that shock you? You'd think being a triple murderer is worse than being an... And he says, no, no, it's it's more garden variety. It's... When you don't provide for your own. We talked about this, you know, the, the men in Cambodia, right? We talked about that, you know, in a much different society, very poor society. And they still find ways to be lazy and not, not uh, provide for their family. It happens in America. It happens uh, in, in and through the welfare state. It happens in all sorts of society and, and in all sorts of countries. Um, and uh, if you were writing the Bible, would you put it like that? I, I, every time I read that, it's like, really? But that's, that's how God thinks about the subject. That, that's how important it is to provide when you have a responsibility. Um, and, and I think, especially for, for the young men in the room, um, you will fight this for the rest of your life. You will fight this because, uh, and, and you've heard this, uh, guys do statistics on this, um, the number of men who are in their 20s, in their 30s, and they are not providing in any way, shape, or form 
a lot of them aren't even married yet. They're just living with their girlfriend. That's another whole other problem for another day. But, you know, to, to think about that, 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 that those numbers are higher in society right now and in American history than they've probably ever been. Because there's, there's, there's no sense of responsibility. There's no sense of this is my task and I have to do it. This is the mentality. If I can get away with this, I will. So guys, don't do that. Um, your peers and your culture will work against you with that. Uh, who has First uh, Timothy 4.3? Yeah, go ahead and keep keep reading into verse 4. Let me get there and look over your shoulder. There we go. Okay, there we go. So what does that mean? God wants us to enjoy things that he provides with thankfulness. It's not wrong uh, when you've been driving around in a two-door Honda... And you got four kids, and you get an SUV, you finally save up, or you get a minivan, and you go, this is so nice. We could put stuff in the back as well as the car, as well as the kids, right? It's good to say, thank you, Lord, and to enjoy the comfort of that. Or maybe it's your golf game, maybe it's uh, playing basketball, maybe it's um, a hobby that you have, or a pastime that you have, or, you know, and, and, and... What this text says is if we receive those good things, and you know, the, the, the assumption is that these are things that are honoring to the Lord, we receive those things as God's provision with thankfulness. God wants us to enjoy them. And, and money can provide a means for that. Uh, who's got 2 Corinthians 9, 7? Is that Lee? Okay. Money provides us an ability to give to the Lord's work. Um, and what a joy that is. That's, that's what that text is about. It, it's, it's the cheerfulness. It's the joyfulness of saying, God has, God has stewarded these resources to me, and now I can turn around and, and put those to work in gospel ministry in some way. And that's a joyful, it's a joyful thing. In fact, we're, um, uh, the elders were talking the other night about... Um, missionaries and missions policy and and uh, just really crystallizing what we believe the scripture teaches about missions and one of the things that you walk away with is just what a privilege that is that we have people literally around the world that are doing gospel work and through our prayers through our giving through our support that uh, we can participate in partnership with those things um, so that's a that's a real provision and real joy and having financial provision allows us to do that and then other things what what other ways can money be used for righteous purposes it can be good i I wrote medical care that's on everybody's mind today right medical care is and um so having an ability to have have means allows you to get medical care what are some other things Okay, charitable organization, sure. You know, I've been a pastor here for a while now, and I can't think of a need that has come up in our body over those years um, 
known, sometimes not really known. Um, that's, that's the neat thing about being on the team here. Sometimes we get to see behind the curtain things that not everybody sees. Um, I can't think of a time where God didn't provide for that need here. And usually the way that he's done it is through our family, our church family here, through people. Um, okay, so money can be good. We're not, we're not, money is not the source of all evil. Uh, the love of it is, as we'll see here. But money can be dangerous. And this is where Proverbs goes. Proverbs has this balanced view. Money can be a stewardship from, well, it is a stewardship from the Lord to be used for good means, but it can be dangerous. So let's, uh, let's look at these here. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're just going to lightning round uh, this section here. But I want you to see these verses because this is really the, uh, gets into the heart of uh, what Proverbs has to say. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, Here it is. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Listen. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. There's a three-year sermon series right there, huh? We won't do that. Isn't that true? I'm, we, could, we could spend hours cataloging examples of that. So the scripture says it can be good, but don't love it. When you start to love it, that's when bad things happen. That's when a good gift that God gives you becomes a means to wickedness. And maybe most significantly, Paul warns here. Actually, he, he doesn't just warn here. He says, I've known people that have done this. It gets too important. And it breaks his heart as they see them wander away from the faith. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Turn back to Proverbs and let's hit some Proverbs here. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Money can be dangerous according to Scripture. And we want to look for those areas that it can be dangerous so that we can avoid those. Proverbs eleven twenty eight, are you there? He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. So don't love it and don't trust it. Don't trust it. It wasn't designed for you to trust in. Flip over to 23, verse 4. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Don't love it. Don't trust it. Thirdly, don't weary yourself for it. Now, now this is getting, this is getting uh, dangerously close to um, sometimes what we call the American dream. So I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, really. But uh, listen to the, the, the wisdom of Proverbs here. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. Well, why, Solomon? When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Did you know that your dollar bill actually has wings on it? It does. And, 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 and God, God is so kind, isn't he? He's so kind when we receive that unexpected bill. 
and we cry out to him and say, Lord, how am I ever going to, you know, take care of this? He graciously provides. And we say, praise the Lord. And yet he is so kind that when we get unexpected money, not because we have a bill, we just get unexpected money, or we've worked hard and we feel like, hey, now I can relax because the, the savings account balance finally is in that range that I've been wanting to get it in. God says, look out. Yeah, most of us here remember 2008 and uh, the stock market situation. And you say, why is that? Because God does not want us to trust in wealth. Um, you, may, you may remember this. Um, you were younger. We were um, we were having a family talk with our kids, and um, I don't remember remember what, what there was something that one of our kids wanted, and it was one of those nights where I don't know if the store was out of it, or it ended up being too expensive, or it was a birthday and it was expected and didn't. I don't remember the context, but it was just I didn't get what I want, and and the the child was completely upset, and I really don't remember if it was you or one of your brothers or sisters. But, um, and we had to talk about that that night. And I thought, you know, how, they weren't seeing it like this, but how kind of it, how kind it was of God that he does not give us everything we want. You know, and that's one of the things you have to go, oh, but it would be really not, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Because th- think of what type of people we would be like if God did give us what we wanted every time. And we would be godless, wicked, selfish people um, under the guise of temporary happiness, right? So sometimes God doesn't give us what we want. Sometimes he gives and then he takes away to remind us, we go back to the second point there, this is not something to trust in. And and part of, part of maturing as a believer is not just accepting that, but actually being okay with it. And when it happens, even getting to the place where you say, Lord, I may not understand, but I know this is good for me. And I want to thank you for caring for me and watching over my soul so that I don't put my trust in the wrong place. That's really hard to say. But God is kind. And and just like you parents and grandparents don't give your children and grandchildren everything they want because you know what's best for them, our Heavenly Father does not do the same with us because He knows what's best. So don't love it, don't trust it, don't weary yourself for it. Now now again, you have to contrast that with everything it's said. What about diligence? What about working hard? What about not being a sluggard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. But what does this really speak to? This is not contradicting in any way what what the Proverbs says about hard work. What is the balance here? The heart, yes. It's your motive. And this is saying, don't make your soul whole motive the pursuit of wealth. There has to be, there has to be a more righteous motive um, to do your work for the Lord um, and for His glory. Okay? So yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not contradicting. It's just saying we, that can't be the heart of the motivation behind uh, your diligence and hard work. Number four, 
don't value it over more important things. Back up to chapter 15, verse 17. Look at this. 15, 17. Um, now, I struggle with this because I really like to eat meat. So you tell me, uh, you can talk me down here a little bit here. But listen to this. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse well, let's just start in 16 because the, the two kind of go together. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. Isn't that true? So don't value it over more important things. What's better? Having a home characterized by harmony and love or having your retirement set. There are more important things in life than the bottom line. Flip over to 27. 27 says this, don't think that it brings satisfaction. Don't think that it brings satisfaction. 27 verse uh, that's a typo. Well, I'm sorry. No, it's not. I got it now. Okay, so 2720 says this. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. Those are synonyms for the grave. Nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. What's that mean? This is the part where you talk. What's it mean? Yeah. Yeah, we always want more. Um, have you known, and, and high school students talk to me, and, and uh, um, Jonathan and, and uh, Nathan, you jump in here too, because you guys are old enough to participate here, okay? You're mature, godly guys. Um, have you noticed... When you get the latest, like what'd you get for what was the coolest thing you got for Christmas? Just what was it? An Xbox? That's a good Christmas. Okay. Um, have you noticed how after a month and a couple of weeks of using it, it's not quite as exciting as it was when you first got it? You haven't. Okay. Well, let's talk. Let's talk next year. Okay. Do you remember what you got for Christmas last year? Okay. Yeah. You still using them? Yeah? Okay, what about year before that? No, not so much, huh? Yeah. Okay. Have you, do you remember? You guys remember what you got for Christmas? Real exciting things? Okay. Socks and a button-down? Uh, no. And here's my point, guys. You are not too young to recognize that the excitement and satisfaction of getting something you want doesn't last forever. Right? And we old people, you know, we know that too, and yet we still kind of get caught up in that sometimes. Right? Um, and that's the, that's the thing. It doesn't bring satisfaction. Actually, notice, it, and here's why. It does bring satisfaction for a little while. And then you're like, huh, I need another game. Actually, I need six more games. Right? I need the upgrade. That was last year's game. See, and just on and on and on and on and on. So don't, don't get stuck on it thinking it brings satisfaction, because it doesn't. 
And finally, maybe most importantly, we go back to where we started in 1 Timothy 6. Paul says, here's why I'm grieved. I'm grieved because people I've seen that I know, that I love, have been captured by the love of money and it's caused them to stray away from the faith. And you know, Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 13. You remember the parable of the the sower and the soils? Sower goes out to sow and he throws a seed and there are four different types of ground representing four different types of responses to the gospel, right? The first one... I don't like what you're saying, right? Second one, oh, that sounds interesting. And it grows up for a moment and then it dies. Remember, the soil is shallow. Do you remember the third one, the third soil? Um, That was the one that it springs up, it's looking good, and then there's this little sprout next to it. And then the next day, that sprout is about six inches tall and it's got thorns on it. And then the next day that sprout with thorns starts entangling this plant. And by a week or two, it's completely choked the thing out and the original plant is dying now. Do you remember that one, the third soil? Do you remember what Jesus said that represents? This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the what? Oh, you got to know this. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of Riches chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, hear what Jesus is saying. You can miss the gospel because of a love and a deceit about money. That's, that's how dangerous this is. This isn't just about, you know, having more debt than you can ever pay off. It's not just about declaring bankruptcy. It's not just bills piling up and collectors coming after you to take your house. It's, it is all that. But don't miss the most important part. The most important part is it can cost you eternity if you're not careful. So how do we balance this out? Money can be good, but it can be dangerous. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30 and let's just, let's just park right here for a little bit. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 7 to 9. Who would read that nice and loud for us? Proverbs 30, 7 to 9. It's right up on the PowerPoint. You can read it from your Bible. Nice and loud, please. Someone just jump in and read it. Okay. These are the words of Eger. We're not totally sure who that is, although verse 1 tells us he's the son, he's the son of Jekah. Um, so, but listen, listen to the wisdom of this. Um, explain, would someone take a stab at explaining that? What's he saying? I mean, he says, two things I ask of you, talking to God, uh, don't refuse me these things before I die. And number one is, keep deception and lies far from me. That's the first thing he asks, Okay. Notice the second thing. What is the second request? Okay. Yeah, give me what I need. And, and what is Eggers, um, what is his thinking behind that? Explain, why, why would he, why would he say, Lord, uh, just make me as rich as I can be. And I'll honor you. Why does it, what, what's the wisdom behind what he says? He knows his own heart. And, and here, here's a really hard question. Um, do you see the things in your heart that tend to trip you up spiritually? I mean, do, do, you know, do you know your heart that well? And I know it's deceitful. 
Jeremiah says, you know, no one fully knows our heart, right? Because it is so deceitful. But um, do you see the things that can trip you up? And as you grow in Christ, as you grow in your faith, and you identify those things, and sometimes when you realize you do something wrong in your heart, we don't like to admit it. That's often the first thing, right? We just want to like hide it and cover it up and not pretend it's not there. But as we grow in, in spiritual maturity, we recognize, no, 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 Jesus died for that. So I get more comfortable being open and honest about these things going on in my heart that are challenges because I have a great Savior. And that Savior will forgive me if I go confessing those things to him, right? And he will come and begin to transform my heart if I am honest with him about those things. So, so now it turns from trying to hide it and ignore it to, to learning to confess it, learning to ask for God's intervention. And yet as you grow in spiritual maturity, this is one of the steps that happens later on. You start to say, okay, well, if that's my struggle, you be, here's the thing, you begin to pray more intelligibly, more wisely in light of your own struggles. And the prayers cease to be, you know, Lord, do this. Lord, do that. We have this need. And it becomes, Lord, I know this is a struggle for me. And I know because of my past what I can tend to do. So, Lord, I want to pray that you would do this, but not this. Did you see that? You see the, the maturity of this man's walk with God. That he's, he's just not given a bucket list, a grocery list to God of what he wants. He's, he's praying in light of who he knows himself to be in terms of his own heart struggles. And I just, I just think that's a great example, isn't it? It's a great example of spiritual maturity and, and a, a natural step of growth that we ought to be taking in our walks with God. And as Susie said, he, as, as he examines his heart, he says, you know, I know my heart. And I know that if I have too much, what? What's going to happen? I'm going to be full and what? Yeah, and, and, I, and we know this, right? Sometimes when life is really, really good, God kind of goes out of focus into the background and we forget him. We may not deny him. Again, if the, we were taking the Sunday school entrance test and, you know, do you deny Jesus or do you confess him? Well, I confess him, right? You would never say I deny him. But in practice, we can kind of forget because things are so good. And when things are good, we go, oh, things are good. And But notice the flip side of that. Or lest I be in want and be tempted to do something ungodly to provide for my needs. And I don't want to do that and profane the name of the Lord. So there's great wisdom in that. I don't, I don't know where you might be in terms of financial temptations. There, there's some people, you could put $10 million on the floor and it would not tempt them. It just doesn't tempt them. And there are other people that if they see a quarter, they're boxing people out to go get it on the ground, right? Um, so, so I don't know where you are on the, on the financial temptation spectrum, but, but the takeaway from this verse is to know yourself, to pray in light of your own struggles, and even to ask God that he would work in such a way as to promote our integrity, our righteousness, our maturity in regard to finances. Um, there's that, that middle ground of, of wisdom here uh, that I think is so instructive. So thoughts on that?
All right. Well, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. And uh, even though we've just uh, scratched the surface today in terms of uh, what it says about finances, we thank you, Lord, um, for, first of all, your provision in our life. Uh, Everybody in this room enjoys not just having our needs met, but so many things that just make our lives comfortable and encouraging. And those things come from you. So we honor you and we thank you. Lord, we also thank you that you've equipped us. Everyone in this room has gifts and talents and abilities and experiences that you've given us as a stewardship. And thank you, Lord, that we have opportunity to serve you and to provide for ourselves and for others through the exercise of those things. Lord, I pray as we as we look over the shoulder of our older brother in the faith, Agur, here in this verse, that uh, you would help us to learn the wisdom of what he's asking you for that we would pray wisely in light of our own struggles and, and especially because money can be so deceitful and such a temptation that we would pray that you would provide for our needs, um, but not so much that we might forget you and yet not so little that we would be tempted to provide for ourselves in ungodly ways. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word and how it meets us where we are. And I pray that uh, we would learn to bring everything in our life, and particularly our finances, under your lordship, that your word would speak to it, and you would guard our hearts from the many ways that our lives can be distracted or even destroyed um, because of the the power and influence of wealth. Lord, we love you. Uh, Thank you that you... Love us by showing us these things in your word. Give us faith and grace to now walk in light of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.